This is Sarah Bordeaux, and you are listening to PodSAM, the podcast channel of SAM Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. The concept of the SAM Huddle has been to invite mountain resort operators to gather virtually and share the challenges and solutions in front of us due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The coronavirus is changing life for many, creating new challenges for operators, but also some possible new opportunities for resorts. Millions of Americans are discovering or rediscovering a love of the outdoors, even as they stay home and practice social distancing. What changes will become permanent? And where are the growth areas of the future? The impact on operations is still unknown, but operators willing to look beyond the uncertainty to imagine what the future might look like may find more resilience in the long run. On this episode, we invited panelists to look into the crystal ball and search out new customer habits, consider impacts on staff, and seek out opportunities. We'll start the discussion here with SAM publisher, Olivia Rowan. Um, Thank you, everybody, for joining us today on our Monday huddle. Um, I'm Olivia Rowan, publisher of SAM Magazine, and today we're going to imagine what next season, as coming season, might look like. Until there is a COVID-19 vaccine, social distancing, mass, limiting capacity are all on the table. We know this. Um, But it's May 11th, and the landscape, um, as we also know, changes, making it really hard to look beyond the end of our noses right now. So today we're going to try and do that with our panels a little bit, the best that we can. So uh, before we get started, every week um, we're lucky to have Kelly Pollock, uh, NSA president, join us and update us on um, their efforts. So Kelly, can you give us an update? Hi, everyone. Good to see everyone. Thank you, Olivia and Paul. Um, So NSAA, we're still working in the background on industry relief, and uh, that is the SBA loans, loan forgiveness, and also on the Forest Service um, side, we're trying to get uh, fees waived. Uh, But I think we're also moving more into education now, so that would be the pandemic playbook. Um, We're working to get that uh, how to reopen for the guest portion posted, the reopening or um, inviting your uh, staff back is on the NSA website for our members. And now we're just moving into our summer series, which is a lot of lift safety maintenance. There will be seminars, webinars all summer long. So um, I think that's a good update from NSAA. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Kelly. So let's get started. As of yesterday, 45 states have started the process of opening and easing restrictions. It's messy and complicated, and the changes um, that we're going to see are going to come weekly, they're going to come at us daily. And for businesses, there'll be a lot of trial and error, and none of us um, have been here before. So we're, we're all trying to figure it out together. What our new normal will look like for the customer and for our staff? How do we interact with each other that keeps us safe, it doesn't offend you know, other people, and allows for a return to the pleasures of recreating together? And when will we stop looking at each other like viral threats, like we all do at the grocery store right now? So, um, you know, some big, big hurdles. Uh, the coronavirus is changing life for many and creating new challenges for operators, but also some opportunities for resorts. Millions of Americans are discovering or rediscovering a love of the outdoors, and even as they stay at home and practice social distancing, they're finding the outdoors um, like they never have um, during this time of um, stay at home. So what changes will become permanent from that um, changed behaviors we're seeing, and where are the growth areas for the future? 
the impact on operations is still unknown, but operators willing to look um, beyond the uncertainty and what the future might look like may find more resilience in the long run and certainly as we're heading into um, the winter season. So um, our impressive panel today includes uh, Pat Campbell, President Mountain Division at Bell Resorts, Lisa Angenbrug, Executive Director Outdoor Industries, um, Outdoor Industry Association, Ben Wilcox, President and GM of Cranmore Mountain Resort in New Hampshire, Mike Salamano, President and GM of Killington Resort in Vermont, Wynn Smith, President and COO of Sugarbush Resort, Vermont, Elizabeth Howe, COO of Mountain Capital Partners, Chris Diamond, former ski executive and author of Ski Inc. and Ski Inc. 2020, and Dave Fields, from uh, President and GM of Snowbird Mountain Resort. Um, so let's get started. Our first guest we're going to start with is Lisa, um, who is the executive director of the Outdoor, um, uh, Outdoor Industry Association, sorry, OIA. So Lisa, you and I talked a little bit on the phone um, about some of the early data that's coming in. Um, there's no doubt there's many challenges for the outdoor industry um, in getting back to a road to recovery, but um, you see some silver, possible silver linings in what we might gain, and perhaps the outdoors will play a bigger role as it takes on a new significance. And um, you have some preliminary data um, that talks about the desire to get outside and, and what steps are, is your um, members, what are they taking to um, meet that opportunity? Yeah, so the outdoor industry represents retailers, uh, manufacturers, and suppliers, and we're seeing the same thing. I think the ski industry is across uh, our service areas, uh, you know, the decline in retail, issues with supply chain, um, and things like that. Uh, we, we have some hope um, for a recovery based on some studies that we've seen that were mentioned that just came out recently. Toward the end of April, a consumer study that was done by McKinsey um, noted that somewhere between four and five percent of consumers were saying they were getting outside for the first time. A more interesting statistic in that was that 90% of those that said they were going outside for the first time or rediscovering it planned to continue that behavior into the future. Um, and that, that started to give us hope. Sectors where we're really seeing a big change is bicycling. Um, bicycles, it's, it's actually hard to buy a bike right now. They're doing really well. In many states, they were considered an essential business um, and have figured out a great way to do both on-store curbside pickup. Um, so bicycling seems to be doing well. Um, and then there's some other data points that I think are really interesting that we don't normally look at. And one was with military families. Um, and I think this is going to be compelling when we're talking to Congress about permanent reauthorization for the Land and Water Conservation Fund and some other things is um, the data from military families is both active duty and uh, non-active are reporting about a 60 to 70 percent use of parks a desire to be outside um, and a really high indicators of a desire to keep doing that as as families and so we're seeing these small bits of data that seem to be indicating what i think we're seeing all anecdotally is i you know for most of us when we go outside we're seeing people with that's indicating that that's we're not just seeing it because we want to see it, but because it's true. Um, the real challenge, I think, is going to be um, over the next few months. How do you take that nascent interest and turn it in to turn in, turn people from 
taking a walk around their neighborhood into doing something further afield. And I think it'd be a particular uh, thing to look at for the ski industry is um, how are you going to get those people interested in going up to the mountains? How do you get people that have never recreated before uh, to recreate responsibly? And that's the other thing we're looking at is we have a dual challenge of getting the avid outdoorists to recreate responsibly. And then how do you get these new outdoorists to recreate responsibly? And you said that you have some initiatives in, in messaging to try and do it responsibly, but also welcome possible new recreationists to this yeah. new family. We've been working with REI um, on a pilot in Washington State, which they hope to roll out um, and make brand agnostic. We don't want this to be a single brand initiative around uh, recreate responsibly. And then not just pushing it out to the consumer through the existing channels of, uh, you know, outdoor organizations, um, but also pushing it out through governor's offices, um, state, state and local recreation, the, getting the federal agencies on board so that we have some consistent messaging across the Park Service, the Forest Service, the county park, the local park, the governor's office. And then ultimately, what we'd really like to see is a partnership with um, a non-traditional partner, such as a grocery chain, uh, or a place where the people that are not currently outdoor customers, uh, how can we get messaging out since we're also seeing data that indicates that being outdoors is probably safer than being indoors. And so how do we combine that messaging? Um, people are looking to their healthcare providers. So healthcare providers could be another messaging point. How do we build on people are trusting healthcare providers? They seem to be okay going to the grocery store. How do we combine that with messaging on being outside and outdoor recreation? Great. Thanks so much, Lisa. Um, we'll, we'll come back. But, um, I'm going to toss it over to uh, Chris Diamond. Chris, um, why don't you kick us off with... Thanks, Olivia. Um, my concern these last few weeks as I look at the industry is really messaging uh, going forward, looking specifically at next ski season. And I'm reminded about the old expression, when you're up your ass and alligators it's hard to remember that the objective was to drain the swamp right so i know all of you who are involved in operations are you know dealing with all sorts of craziness uh, each day trying to deal with the next day the next week the next month winter specifically way down the road um, i'm curious to know from each of you if your current messaging to your staff, to your communities, to your pass holders, and to your other guests, if that communication positioning is that yes, we will be open next winter and we expect it to be business as usual. Pat, um, do you wanna start with the, start us off? Yeah, um, I mean, great question. Good afternoon, everybody, Chris. I would say that at this stage, just as we're starting to come out, you know, really shelter in place restrictions, um, we're not messaging heavily to our guests, other than I would say through season pass programs, right? That we've got passes on sale, we put assurance programs in place. And so we're, I think the message for us has been, we are optimistic about the season, 
and we're planning for the season and it's too soon to get too specific about what that means. Um, but certainly trying to send the message by reaching out to our most loyal guests, our season pass customers right now, to get them engaged and excited and um, hopeful and optimistic for the season ahead. Ben? Um, I would probably echo that from our perspective here at Cranmore and the Fairbank Group. I know we continue to talk about um, to our pass holders, communicating with them, uh, giving them the optimism that there will be a season ahead. And yet we have some assurance, have had some assurance conversations. We're in the process of structuring some more of those programs uh, as we're getting into the, the spring here. But um, a lot of our guests are commenting that they're in a wait and see uh, situation where they sort of want to check back with us in the summer, late summer, uh, to see what's really happening. And we're being transparent that, yes, we're optimistic about winter. You know, we have great payment programs. We have great uh, securities in place for them relative to that. But uh, my sense from talking to a lot of our staff is that there's, there's a big wait and see attitude for sure on on just what is it gonna look like? I think that's their biggest question. Not so much, is there gonna be a ski season? Because I think there's some optimism with things starting to open up uh, or, or the sort of we're starting to see that down the road. So with the fact that there's a little optimism with that, that they see the ski season being further out um, with, with the idea that there may be, it may look a little differently and uh, we've definitely, uh, have not made any commitments. I think our goal is to, to look a little more towards the summer to give definitive or at least uh, hope we have a little better picture at that point. Mike, with Killington, are you guys communicating for next winter? Any, any optimism? I mean, I think we're doing pretty much the same that was just discussed. And, I, and personally, I think, I think most of the resorts seem to be doing similar, you know, trying to reassure pass holders that you know, we're confident that if there is a problem, we're going to take care of them and, and you know, try to take That seems like that's the, the right strategy. I don't think we'd want to go out and be overly optimistic about how great next year is going to be because you could also come across as being a little bit, um, you know, kind of deaf to what's going on. So, you know, I think a cautious, I, I think, you know, a cautious message is the right one. Seems like most of the groups are doing similar. So, we're doing the same. I mean, a lot of our pass holders want to know if we're going to let them go ski on Superstar next week. I mean, they're asking about a lot of them are wanting to get out now, right? So I think, um, you know, I think we just have to be, you know, keep telling them we're, we're committed and we, we think it's going to happen. And, um, you know, we're going to do it in a safe way. And I, I think the other thing is opening for summer is going to allow us to learn a lot of things and figure out, you know, how to do it well and, and position ourselves to kind of be in a good position for winter. Great. When what about you have a very tight community uh, around you? I'm sure they were all clamoring to, to uh, do some uphilling, and um, I think you had to shut that down. So how are you um, communicating with your your core skiers about what might be on tap for next next season? Sure. Well, certainly I agree with everything that's been said so far, and, and just as Mike most recently said. 
we have to project optimism, but also be realistic. You know, I think one thing we always have to remember that all crises have one thing in common, they end. It's just not a question of when they end or how they end, but they end. And I think we have to keep our sight, you know, on that as well as the short term. And, you know, I'm confident and we express this, that there is going to be a ski industry. I'm confident there's going to be a sugar bush. I don't know if we're going to return to normalcy, you know, in the near term. My guess is things are going to be different. We're going to have to learn. We're going to have to adjust. But if you take a look at a lot of crises, and I remember, you know, the last one similar to the feel of this one was the 9-11 crisis. And I was actually working down on Wall Street. And I'll say the first week after the towers came down, none of us thought there was a future. You know, nobody thought that actually people would return down to Wall Street. Nobody thought people would live down there. You go down there today, you know, not pre or post COVID, but pre COVID, it was rolled 18 years later, was very different than what you projected a, a day after 9 11. And I think as we go forward, we have to recognize that, that one, there is a future. Two, we're going to have to learn. You know, three, what we see today may not be what we see in December. So we're going to have to remain adaptable, flexible, and we're going to have to feel and look and uh, go. Now, in terms of the community, you raise a very good issue. Uh, this community, you know, is, it has been quite resentful of second homeowners coming in. They're resentful because they're fearful. And there's common sense for why they're fearful. They're, they're fearful of somebody from Boston coming in infecting. They're fearful of people hoarding groceries. They're fearful of the health system being overwhelmed. So we can't overreact to that feeling, but at the same time, you know, we have to remind people that we are one community, that second homeowners are critical to the long-term economy, and somehow we're going to have to really bridge that gap. And some of it is going to be how we act as a resort. You know, I wish we were open for skinning today. It's a great thing to do, but there was great concern that it wasn't being done responsibly, that people were coming from out of state. They were overwhelming the local ability to reflect that. So I think those are just, you know, things that we are going to adapt, we're going to learn. But at the end of the day, I think it really is important to say to our customers, and maybe even more importantly to our employees, that there is light at the end of the tunnel. This industry is going to survive and this resort is going to survive and be better in the future. Thanks, Quinn. Elizabeth? About from Mountain Capital Partners and your resorts. Hi, everybody. Um, so for those of you not familiar with Mountain Capital Partners, we operate um, primarily in the Southwest. So Four Quarters area, and uh, we have a full uh, year-round lift-serve mountain bike park in Texas. Um, we took an approach, um, again, speaking mainly to our season pass holders through uh, our pass launch, of um, we're in this with you. And our campaign was all around we believe, and we are as hopeful as you are, so let's do this together. Um, it was a really touching campaign. I think it, I know when I received it um, as a consumer, I was, I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm in 100% uh, with you guys. Um, our past sales actually started out stronger than we expected, actually, which I think said that um, people do believe that there will be a winter next year. So, um, you know, from, from the get-go, I think we're feeling really optimistic, really positive, really in, in it with our customers. We want to ski as badly as they do. Um, so, yeah, otherwise, I think everything that everyone else said is, uh, is pretty in line with what's going on with us at Mount Capital Partners. Okay. And, and Dave, you certainly have a very core, loyal, um, passionate group of customers. How are you 
feeding their probably pent up demand now, but also, you know, redirecting some of, you know, what they can look forward to next winter with all the uncertainty. How are you communicating that? Well, thank you. I think that's a very nice way of describing some of our passionate, loyal customers. <laughs> uh, that was a big factor for us as we contemplated reopening is not would we be busy, but how would we control the crowds? And um, we think, and we heard from a lot of people who said they would come in, they would get on a plane and fly from across the country to come ski. And we're not exactly sure that's what we want right now. I think what I'm planning on for winter is a level of adaptability and flexibility like we've never seen before. I think for customers to commit to a vacation, they're going to need the assurances that if something crops up, like you hear about on the news every day, that they'll be able to get out of their plans or change their plans, basically with no questions asked, is becoming the new standard. And we have a history of policies that are pretty rigid. And what we've seen in the season pass landscape is that's out the window. And if you want the business, you better be ready to be adaptable to the customer's needs. And I think that's key to any business planning going forward is adaptable. Um, all right, we're going to um, drill down a, a few questions specifically for the panelists. Um, Pat, we're going to just go back up um, to the top and start with you again. Um, so certainly in everything I heard, um, there's, there's the uncertainty, which we have to kind of um, deal with, but how do you model? I mean, certainly you can't just um, not proceed forward with plans. So how do you model for this uncertainty? Like how do you, you know, you plan to reopen as plan A and then plan B is open, but um, there might be another wave. And so you've got to have a plan for if that happens or if there's a hot spot, you need to quickly address. How, you, how are you with um, your team, your team of leaders thinking through modeling? Yeah, so we are, again, in this moment, there's, there's more unknown about next winter than there is known. And so that definitely requires all of us to model out multiple scenarios. And really, you know, I guess on the good side, we have some time, right? We are not, other than our resort, resorts in Australia, um, we're not trying to open for winter next week. And so that does give us the time not only to work through scenario modeling that looks at um, a combination of potential restrictions and constraints, as well as demand levels. Uh, but it also gives us the chance to watch what other businesses and other industries are doing along the way. And I think there's a lot to gain and learn from doing that. Um, so skiing is going to hopefully open for summer in the Southern Hemisphere. We're going to get a good look at that. And um, even if we get some of our summer operations open, right, we're gonna learn a lot. So on the demand side, you know, do people have money? How far are they willing to travel? Are they only traveling um, regionally or close to home in their cars? Um, what are their expectations? We're gonna see that as, as all sorts of businesses start to reopen. What, so we will find out what we're being required to do from our local public health agencies, but as important as understanding our customer sentiment and what they expect and demand from us as operators. 
So um, I think we're taking both approaches in terms of uh, designing a bunch of scenarios that we will model out and then at the same time really looking externally and watching and taking in as much as we can, learning as much as we can that we can integrate into that process. Great, thank you. Um, and just to follow up, you know, you have the most employees out of everybody on this call. So, um, and you, you, how do you keep them engaged and aligned to your mission when it's changing constantly? I, you know, the, the staff are our most important asset, and they can make or break our plans and and our resiliency and our guest experience when it, you know, next winter. So. How are you keeping them engaged in a positive way and, and aligned with, you know, a changing, um, you know, all this modeling? Yeah, I, w I would say I have been just thrilled with how our teams have responded. People like, love to step up to a big new challenge, and that's certainly what we're seeing. And they're so passionate about what we do and so committed incredibly optimistic to the prior question. Nobody's more optimistic about next year than our staff. And we almost in this moment have to hold them back because they want to run really hard at creating solutions for all the problems that we might face. So I'm actually feeling um, really confident in terms of their engagement and our ability to do this. And we even saw it in the, the final week before we shut down. We had almost daily adjustments to operations. Social distancing was becoming a requirement. And we would literally go to the team at the end of the day and say, hey, we need you to run lift operations this way tomorrow. And they were all in. They were all about the solutions. They wanted to be a part of it, optimistic and confident that we will have the right team in place to um, make this go for next year. Um, ben, so um, time and again, uh, Ben Wilcox, Cranmore, uh, time and again, we're hearing that the local destinations will be preferred over the long distance travel. And do you agree with that? And either way, yes or no, where might the opportunities be um, for, for Cranmore? Well, I think being two and a half hours north of Boston, um, we definitely know there's a lot of pent up demand. Um, We've been watching the last month trailheads being closed by the National Forest, by our town parks. It goes from National Forest, then the town sees that their parking lots are overflowed, uh, flowing with hikers, and they're closing those down. So it seems like if there's a window of opportunity for people to come up and recreate, they will come up. And so it's uh, similar to what Wynn was saying earlier. There's definitely a conflict with locals about not wanting too much influx too fast. Um, but um, we are actually expecting to be busy when we open. Uh, I think as you talk about modeling, we've been treating summer, we have a pretty robust summer operation and we're gonna be in addition to offering um, a number of attractions here at the resort um, and chairlift rides to our summit restaurant, we're opening lift service mountain bike Park. So our staff, like Pat was saying, is very excited about the summer season. We've got a lot of what's news there. Um, interesting little thing that uh, makes us sound like we're way ahead of the curve on this. Last winter, we, we have a, a tubing park that does on a big day up to 1,200 people a day in our tubing park, which is big numbers for us. And uh, we changed from a fluid, just show up whenever you want, 
um, style from a full day and evening uh, program to a block style two hour scheduling. And uh, we're really worried about the guests sort of, that's a major change, it's not the way we've done it. And uh, the amazing thing that we learned through last winter was we, we instantly we were losing business because people were crowded in there waiting in line to go. So they would, we would lose guests. But basically by them scheduling and buying a block of time, our business went up 25% last winter with about the same numbers a little bit stronger in the winter. And uh, what really surprised us was that the guests didn't need a lot of information. The minute they understood that it was block style and they bought that, they actually preferred it. The guest experience was stronger and they came in. We were selling like out from six to eight o'clock at night, whereas in the past we hadn't because they couldn't get in earlier. They, they booked later. So what was interesting, our online sales went from 25% pre-sold to 75 to 80% pre-sold by going to that model. So when we entered the summer season and knowing the constraints and the social distancing and all the new protocols we're gonna to have to put into effect, we've been using that model to look at two hour blocks for chairlift rides to a summit restaurant, four hour blocks for mountain biking, two hour blocks for a number of attractions that will bundle. So it's completely opposite of what we used to do. We used to just say, show up anytime you want, you can buy a global ticket, you can do everything. And uh, we're getting more focused on that. And it, we're, we're looking at the success of last winter with that tubing experiment, which I looked at and say, boy, we couldn't have, uh, it's almost like we knew a pandemic was coming. No, not really. But um, it was a helpful little exercise for us to go through. And it, it told us the consumer is going to shift. That my theory is the minute you reintroduce a new way to do it, if it means they're still getting the same experience, they're gonna to shift to that um, model. So that begs the question of winter, which we, we really wanna beat up summer first and go through this, see how this new scheduling works. When we run the numbers, even with less capacity for two hour block, we're finding that we could do the same amount of volume, just spreading them out more throughout the day. So just a couple of thoughts, it's kind of what we're deep into right now on planning, a lot of pre-information, pre-arrival safety messaging. And uh, I think Pat said it earlier too, is safety is like supersized now, right? So that um, our advantage over that trailhead down at the White Mountain National Forest is you're gonna come to a place that's taking sanitation seriously. We're focusing on the operation and hopefully a ski area is a very safe place to recreate this summer. So we're gonna be making a big deal of that because we believe that we can be ready for that. We're going to aim to be open in late June at this stage. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Ben. That was helpful insights from, from what you guys are doing. Um, Elizabeth Howe, um, Mount Capital Partners. Um, you, as you said, you, you own and manage a collection of ski resorts and mountain bike parks in Colorado, Arizona, Utah, New Mexico, and Texas. Basically, just, you know, as you look to the future, does anything change in your focus as a, as a company? If you've Put forth like on your website, you talk a lot about investing millions into significant mountain improvements. And um, does that, do you shift in your focus to something else heading into the season? Is something going to become more of a priority to convey to your customers? Well, for this upcoming season, a lot of our improvements are already underway. We do have two lift installations going in and they're happening. So 
Um, you know, some of the messaging won't change. I think our focus in the future, and this is something we're already very passionate about, is technology. Um, we have had variable uh, price tickets online already for, for years now, not years, a couple of years. Um, we've been thinking about um, kiosks uh, for selling tickets at resorts. So I think what, what our shift may be towards is really um, spending capital dollars on technology infra infrastructure. Um, and if you think about that, that sort of, you know, this is what restaurants are already doing right now. They're saying you have to pre-purchase with a credit card online, come pick up your food. Um, so we've already had that idea in place. Um, part of it is that, you know, part of this for us is that we operate in rural areas and we have a very hard time hiring employees. Um, so this was already a solution to um, our, our employment pool. Um, I think for our messaging immediately, you know, we, we actually reopened our uh, year-round mountain bike park um, in Texas on Friday. Um, and our messaging, and what, and what we saw uh, was that people are grateful for another place to recreate. Um, the already crowded areas they've been going to um, were this, this provided another avenue for them to go somewhere else. And they, they already, they have adopted all of the social distancing measures and protocols. We didn't have to educate anybody on what to do. You know, at, at Spider Mountain, almost every single rider rides with a full face mountain bike helmet and what we noticed was that underneath their full face helmet was their mask. And as soon as they took their helmet off, they put their mask on. So I think that our messaging um, as we move forward is maybe like you, you already know what to do. You know what to do and we're going to do what we need to do and we'll do this together. Um, but in terms of our, our spending our, our dollars, you know, we're going to keep moving forward with our capital um, uh, on mountain improvements. Like I said, technology. And we're going to keep talking about those because we really are proud of those investments. Great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, Wynn Smith, uh, Sugarbush Resort in Vermont. Um, as restrictions ease and people start to head out and resume some of the former activities, um, early data suggests, and I would mentioned this earlier, that uh, people will support who they trust, they like, they believe in. Um, and so, you know, you mentioned this a little bit before, but the, the creating the balance of opening up for business and being good stewards of the community um, and looking out for their health, you probably have a stepped up role because of where you're at and who your audience is. Um, so how might you educate guests to act? And it sounds to me how you might educate them to act in their own interest and in the interest of others. And how do you enforce it? So. There are those that'll take care of themselves, but as we're seeing in the news, there is this mounting tension going on between those who feel they don't need to, uh, the self-policing, there's all this kind of tension. So how do we, um, how, do, how do you create that balancing role when you, when you open up and you have this nervousness and you have the renegades and you have the cautious people and you're just trying to create you know, a, a place to come and recreate safely? Well, you know, we were just chatting about that with my executive team this morning. The short answer is, I don't know. I think it's going to be a challenge. 
you know, here in Vermont, we're, we're unwinding very slowly. I think the governor is being appropriately very cautious. So, you know, he's allowed golf to open as an example. So they put out very specific protocols. We're going to follow those. We're going to monitor those very carefully. You know, what comes next? He's opening up retail. You know, I think one of the big challenges is going to be some of the larger events, which um, we all rely on. You know, we're, we're not overly profitable in the summer. You know, our, probably our most profitable activities are golf and weddings. So weddings are going to be the huge issue for us. You know, what's going to be allowed? And if it is allowed, how do we kind of monitor it? And if we have weddings, let's say, of 50, are our employees going to feel comfortable working those weddings? You know, when people come into the Valley and they stay in a B&B or they stay elsewhere in an Airbnb, you know, are we responsible for how they, they function? You know, are we still going to have a 14-day quarantine? You know, I think that's really one of the, the biggest governors on what we can do right now when people come into the state. You know, vendors, there seems to be a, a bit of a confusion about, you know, what vendors can do. Um, people are paving the roads and they're coming from out of state, but they're not quarantined for 14 days. You know, we've just heard from Doppelmeyer that, you know, if we want to get support in putting a gearbox in, you know, they're going to have to quarantine an employee's coming out of state for 14 days. So there's just so much uncertainty out there, but I think we're going to have to be very sensitive to the perception of the local community. As I said earlier, there's a lot of fear out there, and I think we're just going to, you know, learn as we go. But I, anecdotally, you asked a question earlier. I've spoken to some Airbnb uh, and B owners, VROB owners, and they're seeing reservations for five, six, and eight weeks. Couples and uh, families of four booking to stay here for an extended period of time. And I think that's a trend that we are definitely going to see, and that could be a very healthy trend in all of our communities, especially if people are acting responsibly when they come into the community. Yeah. Um, and, and one um, follow-up question, um, you know, does, you've been through a, a few different things in, in um, crisis management in, in your long career. Um, as, you, as we're in the middle of this, does this current situation present an opportunity uh, to change something that you always wanted to, you know, for an operator that uh, might be looking at some changes that they can implement. Um, maybe when Ben was talking about looking at selling differently that you never thought you would and doing it in blocks. Is this, is this a time, do you think, to try some new things out? Absolutely. You know, uh, I think, I don't know, this Winston Churchill said, never mess up a good crisis. That really is something that we should all learn from. There are always things that we can do differently as an organization. And sometimes we get lax when things are going well. We overlook things. This is a, a time to look at things deeply, you know, look at a line of business that may not be as profitable, you know, look at your organizational structure, see if you can run things differently. You know, I think technology certainly is going to enhance the way we deliver services. You know, last year we put in kiosks and, you know, that was a great innovation. And I think you're going to see more and more things like that. You know, all of us go through, or we used to go through airports, right? But it really, you know, struck me the last time I was going through LaGuardia how few people were actually in food and beverage. You know, you walk in, you punch a tablet, you know, you get your food. And so maybe there's a whole different way we run our food and beverage operations. So yes, every crisis creates an opportunity to, to rethink and try to do things better coming out of it. Great, thank you, Wynn. Um, Mike, uh, President GM Killington uh, Resort in Vermont. Have you and your team been um, brainstorming, have you been imagining the new guest experience and, and 
how are you thinking through, we just, when just mentioned it, the contact-free environment? Um, has, has the current situation sped up the move to new technology or um, given you a chance to try or look to try some new things on the, on the digital contactless front? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's definitely brought up the topics. I mean, I think, you know, probably like a lot of resorts, technology is not really our strong suit, I would say, at a lot of ski resorts, right? So I would argue we're probably behind where we really should be already in terms of technology. We've been adding kiosks and things like that. But uh, generally for, for, you know, summer operations, I think we're just trying to take it a little slow and try to figure out, um, you know, what the demand is. And I think similar to what you know, Dave Fields mentioned, you know, at Snowbird, I mean, it's interesting for us. I and mean, we still have, we'd normally be skiing right now. And we have a ton of snow up on the trails. You know, we would, we could probably open because the governor had opened up the state a little more in the last couple of weeks, but we're having the same problem now. It's, um, you know, should we be opening and would we have too many people? Right. I mean, we, on a weekend in May, we were having a thousand people on two trails historically. And I'm sure we get thousands of people if we opened up and, you know, so that's sort of like, that's a new way of thinking. Never thought about, wow, we might have too many people. We shouldn't open. I mean, I've never even contemplated such a thing. And now we're thinking about that and saying, okay, let's open the golf course because there's probably not as much demand for golf as there is for skiing, which is, you know, it just shows how, how strange things really are, right? That we have so much snow and people wanting to come and we're, um, really not letting them go use that. So, you know, I don't know, there's just so many things going on. I, I think, you know, when we talk about planning for winter, um, you know, I think our plan is really to take it slow, see what the demand for summer is. We have a lot of, a lot of our summers mountain biking. I think that does, can do pretty well with social distancing. You know, we're going to wait on a lot of the food operations and the base lodge operations and, and start slowly with golf and mountain biking and see how we do. But, you know, there's some real concerns for winter in my mind. I mean, we have two gondolas. I'm not sure how you social distance in a gondola, right? So you have two eight-person gondolas, and if you put one person in a gondola, I mean, the math is really tough, right? I mean, on our busy days in middle winter, we've got a half-hour wait at our gondola. That's putting eight people in it. So if you start putting one or two people in, you know, I just don't, you know, I can't even, it's almost hard to imagine what we would do in that scenario. And I don't know the answer. So if anybody's got the solution, let me know. But, you know, there's definitely things like that. I mean, you know, I sometimes it starts to freak me out a little bit and start going, okay, let's, let's figure out summer first and then we'll kind of take it one step at a time. So um, if, if you were, if there's one thing you could invest in right now, um, if, if capital weren't pinched at the moment and knowing the crisis and looking ahead, what, what might that be? Yeah, you know, I think for us, um, one of the things that will be interesting in the next, you know, summer even into winter is, you know, how to run food and beverage operations. Can we can we automate things and do, you know, remote ordering, takeout, those types of things? Um, you know, part of the problem, of course, in the East Coast, especially in the winter, is it's really cold. So to move outside to try to eat isn't always the simplest, right? And we've got We've got serious capacity constraints in our lodges as it is, you know, on this weekend, if we have 14,000 people there, um, you know, food and beverage becomes a challenge. So I think trying, in my mind, one of the things I think we need to figure out is 
how we can spread people out and maybe move some of our food and beverage operations outdoors if possible to so I would say that and and some type of combination of of um, you know investment in technology maybe to to allow better ordering or, or um, that type of thing which we don't really right now have too much of it on site okay thanks Mike um, Dave Fields uh, snowbird ski resort um, have you started talking with your staff about um, next winter and how it will play out and um, have you talked have you started the process of sort of modeling for the different scenarios somewhat um, we're modeling summer more than winter right now but when you look at your staffing levels and employees who've been furloughed or receiving stay-home pay we're trying to reverse engineer our staffing based on our operations which are going to have various tiers and so it feels like a seven-dimensional puzzle we're trying to solve here i think whether it's summer or winter what i saw this weekend in a highly reopened utah was people obviously overcrowding trailheads but just so excited to get back to some sense of normalcy realizing that all of our letting down our guards our collective guards may result in a resurgence in cases in two or three weeks but it was astounding to see people in restaurants some people in masks some people in not not wearing masks i personally went to a restaurant went through the drive-through to get a shake for my daughter and I. And when I saw how they were operating after I paid, I drove away. I said, there's no way I'm going to eat food out of this operation. And so I think we all have this inner uh, gauge of what is safe and what's not safe. And it changes by the minute it feels like based on what you read or see. And you have all these guilty feelings about how you're participating, but our employees have it, our customers have it. And the government has it, our counties and states, they all have guidelines. So we have to balance all of these differing um, sen sensitivities and subjectivities to how we're operating and what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and do you feel, do you feel that there are lessons, obviously there's gotta be lessons that we're learning right now um, that will prepare us to be more resilient should there be a, a second wave this fall? Um, is there stuff that you're trying to talk through with your staff now to try and be a little more prepared and resilient for um, a, a second wave? Well, yes. And it goes back to my comments about flexibility. Whatever plan we come up with, we're now, according to Siri, 58 days since March 14th when we all suspended our operations. This is still so new. But I think what we've all learned is Whatever plan you've made, half of it's going to go out the window because this realities on the ground will be different when you open, but you have to go through the process. And so we're just trying to design for flexibility right now. Okay. Chris, so uh, you've heard everybody and, and um, you've been through um, various crises in your time in the industry. Do you have any um, thoughts for us and, and, um, and how we should look to using our time now and looking ahead to opening this winter and dealing with all these challenges. Yeah, thanks, Olivia. I, 
<clears throat> wrote down, we have time. I thought Pat's point uh, was, was spot on. So get out of the swamp when you can get a chance and start thinking about uh, how are we positioning the sport for next winter uh, with the authorities in our respective states. I think, as we can see, we're, we've definitely moved back into a federalist world uh, where so many decisions are being delegated down uh, to the state health authority and the governments, uh, the governors having, um, you know, clearly the, being in the driver's seat in terms of um, how we might respond uh, next year if there's a second wave. To me, that's the big risk to the industry. I think things will sort themselves out one way or the other uh, and we'll go into the season with some kind of new normal. And if we're hit with a second wave, had we taken advantage of the time we have now to work with the local authority, local and regional authorities, so we've got a plan in place. So we know what the metrics are in terms of a resurgence. If it's our communities, it's how many uh, respirators we have, how many hotel emergency room beds are available. What are the metrics before we do A, B, and C? And if we have those in place, if we work to get that in place, I think we uh, will really firm up some very good relationships with those in, uh, those in the authority, which will stand us in good stead moving forward. So I think that's something that we need to take advantage of the time we have to get in place we don't know what uh, we don't know what's going to happen between now and then, but let's we assume some amount of normalcy. What do we do when that delta? When there's a change to that? So I guess that's my my first thought. And the second, you know, if you go back to um, the energy crisis of '73, '74, I think I'm probably the only one on the call that had to live through that. And that was a wake up for the industry in the sense that we had a. a you know, Mr. Carter was experienced with peanut farming in Georgia. I don't think there was anyone in his cabinet that skied or had any appreciation of the complexity of our world. So when the crisis hit, we were specifically singled out um, as, you know, an industry that wasn't critical, uh, either economically or socially. And you remember, no gas on weekends. Uh, it, it was awful. And... Um, you know, I think we've come a long way since then. And as we look to uh, what are the sort of social strengths that we offer, um, as Lisa had mentioned, that was very interesting. You know, the passion people have for the outdoors, the reality that we're a distributed outdoor recreation. Well, we have touch points of, of crowds. Generally, we're covered from head to toe, especially at Killington. You're not freezing to death. You've got to have every orifice covered. So I wouldn't, Mike, I wouldn't worry about waiting in line dressed like that or being in the gondola cabin. Spring's a different ball game, but, you know, we will have to manage those touch points. But if we educate the public, our communities, uh, our respective governors and uh, influential politicians about how uh, our environment, our outdoor recreation environment is a very healthy thing in the big picture. And yes, we have some areas that if there's a resurgence, we'll deal with, and here's how we're going to deal with it. Get ahead of the curve, because we weren't ahead of the curve in 73, 74, and it really hurt. So my two cents. Thanks, Chris. And, you know, I think that's a nice um, transition to, to a, a final comments from Kelly and Lisa. And um, 
to what Chris and others have been saying, you know, right now the silver lining is that um, what we offer is mission critical because we're giving, you know, them physical and mental health with what we provide. Um, entertainment, giving families memory, uh, you know, memories where um, there's the data that Lisa pointed out that it's, it's healthier to be outside than it is inside. And um, there's all this talk about, you know, the long-term effects on mental health from everything that's going on. So I think the silver lining is, is that um, we, we can be there to provide an outlet for that. So um, Kelly and Lisa, I would, you know, final thoughts on um, what efforts you guys are doing to kind of maybe to Chris's point, prepare some of that um, messaging to go to the states. Is that something that's in the works that um, can help as resorts look ahead to getting open, that there's a foundation, you know, at the state level of um, a feeling like we are part of a mission critical essential business? Um, you know, what I would say, Chris's point is right, um, or as several of you've made it, is these decisions are really being pushed down to the state level. I was on a call earlier with the Forest Service um, and the National Park Service, and they are being told down to the unit level to work with their states. Um, I, I, you know, when I think about the outdoors, and I think about skiing in particular, I, I, I do see this huge opportunity in being prepared for it because being outside is the very embodiment of freedom, and that's what people are seeking right now. And so to be prepared and um, work through, we have outdoor business alliances, and I'm not sure what exists for the ski areas, but really engaging businesses at the state level, um, getting on task forces at their governor's offices to talk now about the what ifs, the possibilities, the learnings across industries. Somebody made the comments about the uh, all this, t the touchless and how restaurants are dealing with it. Um, every governor has a task force working on this. The one in Colorado is trying to go across industries. And I just, I really encourage the ski industry to be a part of those conversations because decisions are getting made now that are going to impact how decisions get made should there be a resurgence. Um, so while nobody has the answer or the silver bullet, um, I think the relationships that are built now and strengthened at the state level will really reap a lot of benefits later in the year as we all kind of figure out what the hell is this thing going to look like? What are we going to be as a society? How are we going to get outside? How are we going to go skiing? You know, what are we going to do? People want to be outside. So there's the opportunity. And I've heard a lot of uh, super creative um, thinking on this call about how you're going to approach the consumer, um, but being allowed to do it is going to be, have to be a part of the equation as well. And so building those relationships within these governor's task forces is a really good idea. Kelly, anything to add? Yeah, I would, um, thanks Lisa, I, I would point out that the state and regional association relationship is extremely important. And we've been um, meeting with those associations every week now for weeks. Um, and so NSAA tries to stay out of the way when it's um, a regional or a state issue. And I can just tell you, your state associations are working so hard for all of you. So um, that's a great resource. Um, the get outside uh, message is as important as it has been. Um, I'm encouraged for a couple things. One is that this time we knew, we know. Um, in March, we didn't really know what was going on. We didn't know that 
people were visiting our resorts and sharing the virus and now we do and we can put plans together and and that's a, a big advantage the other thing that i'm really encouraged is everything that i'm reading that's coming from all of you guys is you have these phased approaches and i think that's going to help you a get open when you share those with your with your government um and b it's gonna it's going to be a smart way to uh put your toe in the water without jumping all in um, it's also going to feel much more comfortable with your guests so i would just really take a look at your campus because your campuses are amazing there's so many opportunities out there that other people in other industries would give their right arm for you you have space on your side and you'll figure out that messaging nsaa um, that's not really we're not guest facing will help you, but you guys are gonna come up with that really um, good messaging. So I'm encouraged. I think our hardest problem is going to be capacity, is, is keeping folks away. And, and I loved what Ben had to say, and uh, so many of you are thinking of um, doing things that way, where you're, you're taking orders and you're letting the right amount for the right time come to your resort and recreate. I, I just think you're all being super smart, so thanks. Thank you for taking the time to listen to episode 8 of our special Huddle mini-series. Uncertainties are still plentiful, however, we know a lot more now than we did two months ago, and while the situation will continue to change, the industry is better prepared than ever to handle the coming challenges of this summer and the next winter season. We hope these huddles and the other resources developed by Sam Magazine to assist during this crisis have helped you all stay connected, informed, and to navigate the challenging times. If they have, Consider supporting us as a vital source of information with a subscription at www.saminfo.com slash subscribe. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The Pod Sam Advisor is Alex Kaufman, the Wintry Mix Podcast Guy. I am Sarah Bordeaux, and thank you for listening to Pod Sam.